Welcome to the Seashore Church Message of the Week. This message is designed to bring more of heaven into your world today. For more resources like this, or to learn more about our church, visit seashorechurch.com. So I thought maybe we could pray and get started. Father, we thank you for your presence that's here. Uh, I thank you for your presence that's here in this room, in my living room as we're recording this. But wherever people are watching today, God, if it's in their own living room, or maybe they're just listening to it with headphones on as they're doing dishes or cutting the grass, Wherever it is that they are, Lord, I pray that you would speak to them, that you'd speak to all of us through this, that it's not just my words that can change someone's life. They're actually powerless, but it's your words that when we apply what you said to our own lives, when we hear you and we obey you, then we can see streams of living water flowing from us. And that's what I pray today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, today we're going to be talking about a baptism of repentance. And it might be that both of those words are a little bit foreign to you, baptism or repentance, but they actually flow hand in hand. And I'm going to read to you from Matthew chapter 3. We've been on this topic of revival for a while now, both in our church here at Seashore Church and in our videos that we've been doing and the small groups that we're meeting, because we really believe that God wants to revive us so that we can revive our cities and our nation and our world. This world needs revival. It needs a reboot. Sometimes it just needs a do-over on 2020. But we know that when we allow God to do the work inside of us that He wants to do, that He purifies us from the inside out. He gives us His Spirit to live by. And when we live according to His Spirit within us, rather than the Spirit of the world or according to our own thinking, then we can be transformed through the renewing of our mind. God's Spirit renews our mind. And then we can think the way He does. We can have the mind of Christ. And so we can approach the same world that everybody else does, but with a completely different perspective because of of what God's done in us. And when we do that, and when we gather together, there's something special that happens. There's this tangible sense of the presence of God that's among us that begins to affect the world around us. Jesus said that we can lay hands on the sick and they can be healed. He said we can cast out demons. We can pick up snakes with our hands. Not that I'm going around looking for snakes, but there's nothing that will be impossible for us. If even just two of us would commit to this process of revival in our own hearts and see us come into agreement about what God wants to do in this world and really pray, I don't just mean throwing words up into the ceiling or into the sky, hoping that God catches them. I mean praying, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, which is just what Jesus taught us to pray. And I hope that we get so revived that when we pray those prayers, God, let your will be done in here so that your will can be done out there, that our world begins to change. And this year will not be marked simply by COVID. It won't just be marked by death and destruction and fear. It will be marked by a revived people reviving their cities. That's my hope and prayer for 2020. So today, I wanted to share with you from Matthew chapter 3 about one of the key steps, really kind of a beginning step to begin this revival in us and around us. But it's interesting that often what begins a move of God is also what sustains a move of God. And it's this word called repentance. And I want you to look with me in Matthew chapter 3. I've already said it a few times, so hopefully you've looked it up in your Bible or on your phone or your iPad. But I'll read it to you if you don't have one nearby. In chapter 3, verse 1, it says, In those days John the Baptist came, 
preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord and make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts, excuse me, his food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Now, if you go on to read this story, as he's out baptizing people in the desert, Jesus himself comes and asks John to baptize him. It's an amazing story. Jesus himself got baptized. But what is this baptism stuff? You know, up until this time, baptism was not what we know it as today. Now, as Christians, we get baptized after we make a decision for Christ. And going under the water is identifying with the death of Jesus and also the death of our sin. And when we come out of the water, it identifies with our new life in Christ. So it's a public declaration of a decision that you've made in your heart. But it's a powerful moment, and we're told to believe and be baptized. But at the time John the Baptist was baptizing... It wasn't really a well-known tradition or ritual of the church. In fact, there's really no mention of baptism in the Old Testament at all. There were certain ceremonial washings that God gave to Moses as part of the law. Things like if you went near a dead body, then you'd have to ceremonially wash before you could come back and be part of the community. Because being around dead things made you ceremonially unclean. And the only way to be included back into the community was to wash in a certain way that made you ceremonially clean to join back in. So there's really no mention of this baptism thing. Baptism was kind of added in this period between the Old and the New Testament. Because what happened is the religious people of the day, and this is what mankind tends to do with man-made religion, is they added on over 600 different rules and regulations than even what God gave Moses. And so part of that was adding on to this ceremonially washing. And so what baptism was used for in that time period was a way for a Gentile to become a Jew. A Gentile is just a non-Jew. It's anybody who's not a part of the covenant that God gave to Abraham by birth. And so for a Gentile to become a Jew, they would go through an extensive process of ceremonial washing similar to this water immersion baptism that John was doing. And it was a way for those who are outside of the covenant to be brought into the covenant. Very interesting, isn't it? God can use things like that. Even the man-made stuff that we do that has nothing to do with what God's told us to do, 
God can still use those to draw people near for his purpose. And so here John the Baptist is in the desert baptizing people. But the difference is John was baptizing both Gentiles and Jews, not just Gentiles. So baptism was only known as a way to bring Gentiles in as Jews, to leave their Gentileness, to wash themselves of their Gentileness, to wash themselves of the world so that they could be part of the covenant and be Jewish. It's kind of like this adoption ritual. But John was baptizing Jews because it said that John was drawing people from both sides of the Jordan River. You remember the Jordan River was the thing that divided the promised land from every place else. But yet John was right on the edge of the world and the promise, drawing people from both and both were in the river being baptized. But why? If you're a Jew, you don't need to be baptized. You don't need to be more Jewish. That was for Gentiles. And so what you see is these Pharisees and these Sadducees. These were the religious rulers of the day who came out to see what the show was all about. They had heard that this guy John was drawing huge crowds and he was baptizing this strange thing called baptism in the Jordan River. Why would so many people be coming out to be baptized? Why do so many people want to be Jewish? But this was not a ceremonial washing like they knew. This was a baptism of repentance. These were Jews and Gentiles alike who were so convicted of their own sin who saw that God had a promise for them that was greater than anything the world had to offer. It had anything better than the world could offer the Gentiles by living away from God. And it had anything better than what the religious systems of the day could offer the Jew who just lives by rules and regulations all day. They saw that there was life. And the way for them to attain this life is through repentance. So they came to John. And as it says here in the scriptures, um, they went out from Jerusalem and Judea and the whole region confessing their sins. Now, if you were a religious leader of the day, if you were taking pride in your Jewish heritage, you saw no need to confess sins because I'm a child of Abraham. So here you have this contrasting picture. You have those being baptized down into the Jordan River, but coming out on the road of these Pharisees and these Sadducees. And when they see those who are repenting and confessing their sins, these people in the river who have seen their own sin and thought, I want nothing to do with this. I want to separate myself from my sin, but I can't get rid of it. The only way for me to get rid of this is to be baptized, to confess, to repent, and to be baptized that I can be washed of my sin because I can't get rid of it myself. But these religious leaders of the day are walking along the road, seeing this great act of repentance, and instead of getting convicted of their own sin and joining in, jumping into the river and having themselves washed clean, they look upon those repenting and think, I have no need of this repentance. Surely I don't need to be washed clean. I'm already clean. I'm a child of Abraham. Because of my status, because of my clothing, because of my heritage, I see no need of repentance. And that's why John turns and looks at them and says, You brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? And I want you to picture this. What a contrast. You know, the road that they came in on, came in on would have been more elevated than the river. 
And so as these Pharisees and Sadducees come by, they're literally looking down their nose at those who are living in repentance, who have humbled themselves, who are confessing their sins. They're looking down their nose, taking the high road, but seeing no need for confession or repentance themselves. The saddest part of that is the only ones who really got set free, and the only ones who really received the life that both of them were seeking were those in the river. And I really believe that this is a season for us to get in the river. Jump in the river. Stop looking at things from your elevated position and get down in the river. Let God wash you of your sins. Live a life of confession and repentance and you'll see life flowing from you. It's funny, but I heard this term quite a few times when, when there was uh, people who were just having a disagreement about something. And I heard this phrase often when someone's asking them, hey, what do you think about this? And they'd say, you know what? I'm just choosing to take the high road. I'm just taking the high road. And by saying that, it was really a way of saying the other person is taking the low road, but I'm taking the high road. And immediately when I thought of that high road, what I thought of was this story. Because the Pharisees and Sadducees thought they were taking the high road. They were up on the high road, but the only ones who were being washed from their sins were those down in the river. Now, I know some people think taking the high road means that we just don't talk bad about other people. And it's true. But I don't want to take the high road. I want to, I want to be in the river. I want to live with so much repentance in my heart that if I have a bad attitude in my heart towards my brother, that I let God deal with that in me. And I confess and I repent and I forgive. That's the way I want to live. So let's not just take the high road. Let's make sure we're in the river. What a contrast between these two things. John's baptizing Jews. And he tells these brood of vipers, these religious people, he says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So what does that mean? What is fruit in keeping with repentance? Well, as Christians, we don't just bear physical fruit. That would be silly. We bear spiritual fruit. And it's God's intention for us as spirit-filled believers to bear spiritual fruit. Galatians 5 talks about these fruit. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Those are the spiritual fruit that we're to bear from our life. And it's the beginnings of this revival that God wants to do. Trust me, revival is so much more than just bearing spiritual fruit. But it's a beginning because the fruit that we bear is for other people to enjoy. And within that fruit, there's seed. And that seed means that fruit and that tree becomes multiplied into others. That's God's intention for advancing the kingdom, that we would bear so much spiritual fruit, that we would have so much love, joy, peace, patience, kindness bubbling up from within us. It spills out into, into our whole world. It spills into all of our relationships. It spills into our workplaces, our neighborhoods, our churches. And there's so much of it that it multiplies and it keeps growing and growing and growing. And God's kingdom is full of righteousness, peace, and joy. That's what it's full of. Well, where does that come from? It comes from God, but it flows through us to others. That's His intention for us. And the only way to make sure that we're bearing fruit, John tells us, is repentance. There is fruit in repentance. Repentance yields fruit. Did you hear me? Repentance always will yield good spiritual fruit. So 
I often think, and I, I talk to people every week that want fruit in their life. They want more love. They want more joy. They want more peace. They want all of these things. And they're asking me, how do I get these things? And sometimes they see them in me. Sometimes they see them in others. And it makes them see their own lack of it. And they ask me, how do I get it? You know, I know there's a common thought sometimes is that person just needs more encouragement or that person just needs to, you know, get in an environment where there are those kinds of things that can help. But you know what John tells them? The way that you see fruit in your life is to repent. It's a hard thing to receive sometimes to think, wait a minute, I have to change something in me to bear fruit. Isn't it easier just to be in a place where other people have this and I hope it rubs off on me? But that's not the way repentance works, and it's not the way revival works, nor is it how a tree bears fruit. You see, an apple tree is meant to bear apples. It's just what it does. It doesn't try to bear oranges, and it doesn't actually try to bear apples. It just is an apple tree. And a healthy apple tree will bear apples. That's its intention. And so if that's the natural state of a disciple is to bear fruit, then if we're not bearing fruit, something got in the way. And the way that we get the stuff out of the way is exactly what these Jews were doing who were coming down the Jordan River. It's confess and repent. You want to see more fruit in your life? Begin to confess, begin to repent. Well, what do I need to confess of? What do I need to repent of? I can't tell you that, but God will. God will show you the areas of your heart of which to repent. And when He does it, it's not as a judge convicting you of your sin. It's as a loving Father who sees something in you that He didn't put there, but has kept you from bearing the fruit that He wants you to have, and He wants to get it out. And only He can see your heart. The Bible says man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. That means man can try to fix the outside. He can try to change your behavior. Man can try to get you to do different things, but he can't read your heart. But God can. So why not invite Him into your heart to show you the things that He wants to change? And the same God that put his finger on the things in your heart that need to change is the same God who makes the change in you as you yield to his loving touch, as he changes the things that aren't meant to be there into the things that are meant to be there. You are meant to flow with power. You are meant to flow with his spirit. You are meant to be filled with streams of living water that water other people as well. So let's get it out. Let's live this life of repentance. And it's not something that you can fake. And I, I want to read to you from, from Mark chapter 11 about this concept that repentance yields fruit. Because it's an interesting story of something that happened to Jesus. In Mark chapter 11, verse 17, it says, The next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Sitting in the distance, a fig tree, sorry, seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. And then in verse 20, it says, in the morning as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. It is the natural, it saw a fig tree withered from the roots. What an interesting story. So Jesus, from the distance, sees a fig tree that has leaves on it. But it wasn't the season for figs. So when you see a tree with leaves on it, and it's a fig tree, and you're hungry, you're going to think, oh, I want, if it has leaves, it must have figs. And so Jesus walks up to it, 
but it had no figs. Now, it wasn't the season for figs. So why should he be upset that it didn't show figs? You see, if the tree had never showed leaves, it would have been fine for it not to have figs. There was no expectation for it to bear fruit in that season. But because it had leaves, it was telling the world, look at me, I have it all together. I have fruit. That tree was faking it. That tree was pretending like it had fruit, but it actually had no fruit. That tree was giving all of the outward appearance of fruit, but not having anything. And it left Jesus hungry. So seeing that this tree was pretending to be something that it wasn't, he cursed it and it died. Now here's an interesting story. Between these two occurrences of Jesus seeing the tree and him and it actually dying is when he goes into the temple. My wife Romy preached on this so beautifully and I'm completely ripping off this message because it's good and it's important. But when Jesus saw the fig tree in leaf but not in fruit and he cursed it, is right when he goes into the temple and he sees the money changers and those people who are ripping off God's people, selling sacrifices that people should have brought themselves. So in other, in other words, in, instead of you coming with your own sacrifice to offer in the temple, which was supposed to be for uh, the sin of your whole family for the year, they were just showing up thinking, can I just buy something here and just take that in instead? It wasn't really a sacrifice. That sacrifice was a mark of repentance for the people. And rather than having a true repentance, they were just trying to pick up something along the way. And Jesus walks in and sees these money changers and he's furious and he flips the tables up and destroys them all. But what he says is, this was supposed to be a house of prayer and you've made it a den of thieves. And then they go outside and they see the withered fig tree. These two stories go hand in hand. Because just like the fig tree showed all the signs of fruit but bore no fruit, those in the temple were showing all the signs of repentance and sacrifice without actually bearing the fruit of repentance. These two stories go hand in hand. If Jesus is saying, my house is meant to be a house of prayer, do you know true prayer is not just telling God what we want. It's not giving a wish list. It's an exchange of my will for His. Remember that prayer of Jesus, not my will but thine be done? That's the King James Version. Not my will, but yours be done. It's an exchanging of my will for His. It's an emptying of myself so that there can be a filling of Him in me. If that's not what you're doing, then prayer is just a wish list. It's like writing a letter to Santa. And he's saying that's what this house is supposed to be. This house is supposed to be a place that exchanges our will for His. And instead, you're ripping people off because you're giving an example. You're giving a display. You're trying to create an impression of sacrifice and repentance. But there is no fruit. And just like Jesus cursed the fig tree and it withered, Jesus will curse any establishments, any organizations, any systems that are set up with the intention of displaying fruit but not actually having any. That's what's happening in our world today. I want you to think about this. In the process of about one week, all the things that people had used church for, that if I just have all of the glitz and the glamour and all these things just to draw people in, then everything will be okay. But some of these places were not living with repentance in their heart. 
because they began to rely on all the external motivations to get people into church. They were thinking, if we just draw sinners in, if we, do, if we compromise everything to draw people in, then eventually they'll just get it. But there was actually no real repentance in their hearts. There was no baptism of repentance. And i got to tell you, it's those kinds of things that in one week, it was burned away. It withered at the root. We're meeting in our homes. We're watching church online. All the things that we hoped that would sustain us in all of our difficult times were gone instantly. And the only thing that really remained was you, your family, and your personal relationship with Jesus. You had to be alone with God. Now, I'm not saying God caused COVID, but I can tell you that in this time, God is trying to teach us, let's not be fig trees that have leaves but no fruit. And just like He talked to these Pharisees and these Sadducees, let's all learn to bear fruit in repentance. Bear the fruit of repentance. If in this season of being at home and isolated and being home, if we're using this time just to sit around and go, I can't wait till we gather, you might miss what God's trying to do in this season. Because let's not wait to gather. Let's now spend this time allowing God to search us, to see if there's any unclean way within us. Develop an intimacy with the Holy Spirit like you've never had before. Allow Him to touch the areas of your heart that don't belong, things that ended up in there that He didn't put there, but need to go. And let the fruit be born. Let the streams of living water come from you. Let God revive you from the inside out. The solution for us is not going to be more church, more involvement. It's not going to be more buy-in to a vision. The way that we see this spiritual fruit come in our lives is through repentance. And when I think of this story of John the Baptist in the desert, there were lots of people coming out to him. Some were coming out for the show. Some were probably coming out to make fun of and, and mock those who were coming out. You're not really going in the water, are you? You're not going to be one of those people. Why would you do that? You're a Jew. You're good. I saw you help an old lady across the street yesterday. You don't need to be down there with those sinners. That's for Gentiles. I don't want to be a part of that crew. I'm, I'm a pastor leading a church. I want to be the first in the water. I don't want to be the one standing on the road looking down my nose at those in repentance thinking I'm good. I want to be the first in the water. And I want to jump in head first. And like Peter said, Lord, don't just wash my feet, but wash all of me. That's what I want my heart to be. And I want to live in that place. Because repentance is not just a moment. It's not just the one moment you made a decision to follow Jesus. It is a lifestyle. And the deeper the repentance, the deeper the flow of riving waters that flow from me. So I want to encourage you guys today. This isn't meant to be any kind of a convicting message. But I know that there's a lie of the enemy that many have believed. One of those lies is that it's okay not to bear fruit. It's okay. So you don't have joy. It's okay. You're happy, right? Okay, so you don't have a lot of patience, but you're, you're doing okay. Or the other lie is that it's okay to have some fruit, but not others. God wants you to have them all. All. Every single one of those lists in Galatians 5, He wants for you. To be convinced that I'm going to have some fruit and not others is if somebody gave you a brand new, beautiful million-dollar house, but you chose to live in the driveway. 
Who does that? Take the house. It's all yours. All of the fruit of the Spirit is for you. It's for your family. It's for those around you. Let's not give up. Not only let's not be on the road looking down our nose at those in, in revival and in repentance, but let's not dip our toes in, man. Let's not just try this repentance thing. Get in head first. Let God clean out everything. In our small community here, we have seen such life and freedom come for people. The moment they've caught this repentance thing and they've surrendered their hearts to Jesus, they're beginning to see things in the spiritual realm. I've had many report of seeing angels in their home, others getting visions of God's glory coming on them, and they're filled with it so completely that they can't move for an hour, and it has changed their lives. Listen, those are outward manifestations, but it's nothing like the work that God wants to do in you. The sustaining work of the Holy Spirit in the heart of a repentant disciple will yield beautiful spiritual fruit. God bless you, and we hope to see you again back here really soon. Thank you for joining us today. For more resources like this or to find information about our weekly services, visit seashorechurch.com.